Again, it's uh, great to have you here uh, for Good Friday. By this point, we have uh, sort of recounted the events leading up to and including the crucifixion, and that is part of what today is all about, that uh, in the recounting of the events, we bring ourselves to the point of, of remembering more fully, more accurately, more completely what it is that Jesus did all of those years ago. Just as uh, when we have Remembrance Day or, or Memorial Day, part of, the, part of the remembrance is in the retelling of the stories because we want to remember what it is that was actually done on our behalf and because the meaning of those events in the past, whether they be from wars fought on our behalf or the cross itself, uh, the meaning of that still has import for us today. The difference though, when it comes to the, the cross is, is first and foremost the, the magnitude of the threat. I mean, we're thankful for our veterans who, who cast asunder, who, who defeated the Nazis, that we live in a world where there is not that threat anymore, but, but how much greater is, is the threat of sin? The magnitude of the victory is, is so much greater, but there are some other things that are unique about the cross. The main one is that the threat of sin still remains. That for those who don't yet know Christ, for those who are searching for hope and meaning in the world, sin itself is a great threat. And even for those of us who, who have come to faith, we tend to underestimate sin in our own lives all the time. And so part of the, the value of Good Friday and the cross is that we are able to see the, the darkness of sin more clearly. As we behold the cross, we remember what it took to free us from the power of sin. We are reminded of the of the gravity and severity of sin. See, the death of Jesus was a supreme revelation of the gracious love of God, but also it was the ultimate expression of the sinfulness of human beings. So one thing about sin is that it's always been difficult for us to really see it clearly. Uh, the, the darkness of it, the vileness of it, we, we always tend to underestimate it. It uh, reminds me, I'm not sure if you've heard of this uh, this substance. There's a substance that is called the blackest substance on earth. Uh, it's called Vanta Black. It's not exactly a paint. It's like this coating that chemists have developed. I'm going to show you a picture. There it is. That's not like digitally enhanced. That's what actually happens when you try to look at something that's coated with Vanta Black because it's, it's just this forest of tiny, tiny carbon nanotubes. And when the light hits it, it, it just bounces around in the nanotube. So 99.96% of light rays are not reflected. So when it's covered with it, you, you can't even really see the shapes and the contours of the object. I think that's a little bit like sin for us. We know that it exists. If you're, if you're a Christian, you, you know the concept of it. You, you believe in it. We know that it's destructive and harmful that it will ultimately bring death, but the contours of it, the effects of it, they often go unnoticed in our lives. Like we don't, fully, we don't fully appreciate what it is that this sin being present will do for us. And so because of that, we're often ill-prepared like to, to combat and to deal with it. But also because of that, we tend to underappreciate what it is that Jesus did to, to save us from it. But on the cross... On the cross, the heinous effects of sin are on full display. The events of it, the, the details of it speak to the, to the gravity of sin, the, the, the scourging, the mockery, the physical suffering, the shame, 
the emotional and psychological brutality, all of it reveals the, the violence of sin that, that Jesus had to endure that for our sake speaks to what it is that goes on in each human heart. Though sin is dark, the light of Christ can reveal its contours. We can better understand what it is and what was necessary to save us from it. And so we're going to look at one aspect of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we're going to do it by looking at two moments, which we've already read, but we're going to focus in on them to see this aspect of sin. So the two moments are these. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And secondly, when the curtain of the temple is torn in two. And both of those moments, they, they point to this essential aspect of sin, which is our, our first part of our big idea today. And that is that sin separates. That's the essential nature of what sin does. It separates, but the answer that we see in the cross is that Jesus reconciles. So that's going to be our two things that we're going to look at with our time together. So let's start with the first. Sin separates. Uh, if you heard the just kind of the events of the cross, you know that there are a number of supernatural, amazing things that happened uh, in, in those events. Number one, uh, there was this darkness that covered the land. And by land, it, I mean, it could be the area of Jerusalem. It could be the entire world. That, that word is used in, in both cases. There was this supernatural darkness that spoke to the judgment of God. And, and right after that darkness, Jesus cries out in utter agony. And this is the first uh, verse, the first part of the cross. Verse 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this was a divine act of God, this moment in which Jesus, the, the Son of God, experienced for the first time separation from God the Father. Now, God, it's, the Trinity is tough for us to comprehend. I mean, it stretches our brain. But this, this here, this event, it pushes the doctrine, the truth of the Trinity even farther. For not only are we to understand uh, God as one glorious being in three persons, but now also we are to understand that in taking on our sin, Jesus was separated from that union for a brief period of time. And what he said in that moment articulates the, the depth of sorrow and despair of his heart at that moment. Uh, he's quoting Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, 1 and 2, uh, David is, is articulating his own despair, crying out to God, and here's what it says. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So this is David saying, it feels like you're not there. And Jesus is saying the exact same thing. So what exactly is going on in that moment? Like, why was it necessary for Jesus to be separated in that way? Well, from our point of view, the cross, for the most part, we, we see it as, as a glorious event, as, as a noble, gallant, heroic, sacrificial work of Christ. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and it is. But the means of atonement, the means by which, Je by which Jesus actually saved us from sin we need to recognize that from God's point of view, it, it was repugnant. See, Jesus didn't just pay for sin. He had to become sin. We find this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So this means that the sinfulness of Christ was not just symbolic. It was not just representative. It's not that Jesus kind of got his feet dirty in sin on the way to the cross and then kind of stepped into our place for a moment. There on the cross, he, he took on all of our sin, the, the vileness, the wretchedness of it. He was mired in that darkness from the inside out. So what that meant is that instead of God the Father being able to look on Jesus the Son with pleasure, with approval at his willingness to, to take on our sin, to, to fulfill the, the plan, to show grace, instead he, he had to turn. He had to turn away in disgust and in judgment. And at that moment, Jesus was forsaken. He was separated from God the Father for the first time in the eons that they had been in relationship together. And at that moment, the physical pain would have no doubt faded into the background and the emotional pain, the angst of of isolation, of lostness, of of being alone would have overcome Jesus. I mean, it's hard, of course, for us to try to grasp what exactly was going on there. But we see glimpses of this kind of thing all around, don't we? I mean, we live in a world that that is impacted by sin and so... All around us, even in our own lives, we have instances of this kind of isolation, this kind of, of lostness, of, of being abandoned. There's a movie that uh, Don and I saw recently that I thought really evoked this, this sense of, of separation and lostness. Uh, it's a movie called a Lion, which is not about lions. Uh, it's a, it's a true story of a, of a young boy, a five-year-old boy, uh, Indian boy, lives in India with his family, and he gets separated from his family. I mean, really separated. Uh, what happens is he goes to the train station with his older brother, and as his brother is, is doing some things, it's in the evening, he falls asleep on a train. And he wakes up, and, and the train is, is left, and, and it's going across India, and this train is a decommissioned train which means that it's not stopping at any stations. In fact, they've barred the doors shut so that no one can get on. And all day it travels across India. When it stops, it's 3,000 kilometers away. And this little boy, he, he walks out onto this train platform in another area of India with a completely different dialect. He can't speak to anyone. He, he doesn't even know the name of his town or his mother's name. He, he, he's too young. He just calls her mother and there's no one to watch. For him, he, he just wanders through this city and it's, it's hard to watch. Don and I almost turned it off a couple of times because, because he's wandering and, and has no one to care for him. He, there are adults that pretend to be nice to him, but they're not, they're not nice. They want to take him. They, they, they want to put him into a human trafficking of some kind. He narrowly escapes. You, you, your heart just breaks as you see this little kid. He, he needs someone to care for him. He needs to not be alone. It's hard for us. We, we have a five-year-old. We, imagining Thomas in that place, it, it just breaks your heart. And it also breaks your heart because you know that this is, uh, this is true. That all over the world, there, there are children, there are teenagers, there are adults who, who have no one to care for them, who are preyed upon by evil forces. People who want to hurt them, take advantage of them. There's, there's no one to, to care for them. That feeling of heartbreak and lostness, that is a glimpse of what Jesus went through as he was alone in that, in that state of sinfulness, the dark, empty isolation of our sin, not his own, but ours. 
And he did not have the familiar and comforting presence of his father. Now, it's not that Jesus stopped being the the son of God or that he stopped being part of the Trinity, just like that little boy. He he still had a family. He still was a son. It's just that he was so far removed from his family, that so separated that he felt like all hope was lost. And that would no doubt have been how Jesus felt in that moment. But see, even with illustrations like that, it, it's tough for us to really understand what it is that Christ went through. In part because, you know, the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, it's mysterious. It's, it's tough to comprehend. But also, I think, because for us as human beings, um, you know, we're used to a pretty low level of intimacy in our lives, aren't we? In terms of our relationships, in terms of the people around us and with God. I mean, our sin makes it so that it's very difficult for us to really grow close to each other. If you think about what we tend to want, we say we want, we want to be close, we want to have close friendships, we want to have a, a close, intimate marriage, and yet our own sin consistently undermines that attempt to really be close to people. We know we should be open and forgiving and gracious and easygoing, and yet we're not. We're uptight, we're self-centered, we're harsh with people, we're filled with bitterness, and it, it means that we're... We're not really close to the people around us. And the same is true with God. I mean, those who have no faith, even then they will at times cry out to God in times of crisis. But there's no real sense of connection. There's sin separating that means of of communicating, of getting help from God. And and even even for those of us who have faith, we we know there are times we describe them as uh, valley times or dry times, right? Where it it just feels like, man, we're praying, we're, we're... We're trying to do the things that usually help us to feel the comfort of God. We're not feeling it. And yet when we come up to the mountaintop and we look back, we realize that actually God, he didn't go anywhere. It was us. It was in our own hard-heartedness or something that, that kept us from really feeling the intimacy of God. See, we long, though, for a greater intimacy. In fact, the reason that, part of the reason that it's so tragic, the human condition, is that we were actually designed for great intimacy with each other and with God. That's, that's how it was supposed to be at the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2, you see the picture of genuine human intimacy, husband and wife, totally for each other, open, honest, loving of each other, their relationship with the Lord, no shame, no fear, no guilt. It's beautiful. It's what we long for. That's why honeymoons are so great. Because it, it's intimacy on all levels. It's it's physical, emotional, relational intimacy with someone that you haven't yet sinned against enough to ruin it. It's not a very wonderful picture of marriage, but you know what I'm saying. Given enough time, we tend to it tends to get tense, it tends to get more difficult. But at the beginning, that's it's beautiful. That's that's what we long for, and that's what we that's what we've lost. In our sin, we they, Adam and Eve, felt shame in that moment. And we continue to feel it. And they, we, were cast out of the presence of God. It's hard still for us to grasp what we've lost. We long for it, but but to actually understand what it means that we're separated from from God is, is difficult to comprehend. But I do think for the people of the Old Testament, for the people of the time of Jesus, I think it may have been a little bit easier to, to grasp the fact that they were separated from God and that's because they had a symbol of it. They had a symbol of that separation that was present every time they, they came to worship. 
And that symbol was the curtain in the temple. Because the curtain was that which separated the people from the presence of God. There were, there were actually three different structures, two temples and one tabernacle. I'm going to show you a picture of them because in each one of them, there is a curtain, a, a separation present. All of these structures were given by God. God said, build this place where I will come and dwell with you. And in each one, you'll notice, so this is the, the tabernacle is the first one, but here hanging down is a veil, a curtain. And that separates the holy place, the, the place of worship where people could come, the priest could come from the most holy place which is where the presence of God would come and dwell. And you see the same thing in all of the temples. Here, there's kind of a, a screen separating. And here in the Herod's temple, there's a big curtain. Again, this would have been the temple that would have been at the time of Jesus. That's the, the curtain that was torn. And so the meaning that was very, very clear because you could only go into the holy of holies, the most holy place, only one person could go once a year. That was the high priest. And only after ritual cleansing, and he would only go for the purpose of, of seeking to atone for the sins of the people. He would come with the blood of a sacrifice, and only, only one time. Now think for a moment, what would your conception be of God and of yourself if you lived in a community where one of these structures were at the heart of your worship? Like, what would you think of God? Would you not think that, that God is is majestic and holy and powerful and set apart. And what would you think of yourself? You would, you would no doubt think that I, am, that I am sinful, that I am lowly, that I am not worthy to enter the presence of God. And both of those things would have been absolutely true. That's an accurate description of what it means for us in our sin, that we are separated. They could see it all the time. The only thing missing in this depiction of God was the love of God, the grace of God. Now, there was grace and there was love throughout the Old Testament. In grace and love, God descended to be present with his people. He established a sacrificial system of animals where you could come, you could atone for your sin. It was a means of, of connecting with God, but it was, not, it was not a full measure of the grace of God. And it was not a full measure of the intimacy that the people longed for. In fact, even the grandeur of those structures, they, they were just temporary. They, they were signposts. They pointed forward to a greater point of connection between God and human beings. And that greater point of connection was, was not a structure, was not a temple. What, what, what we longed for was a full, complete, unfettered access to God. And that came not in a building, but in a person. It came through Jesus. That, that was what Jesus did for us to, on the cross that he he got rid of that separation. Sin itself, when he, when he paid for it, now we were no longer separated. We could walk into the presence of God. And so we've seen that, that sin separates. Now we were reminded that the fact that Jesus reconciles. And this is the second moment in, in the death, just after the death of Jesus. Uh, look with me at verse 50, where it says, And Jesus cried out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That's the moment where he dies. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. So you notice the timing there. Right after the death of Jesus, right after the complete and perfect atoning work of Christ, right after he had endured the, the separation, the excruciating separation from the Father on our behalf, that was the point at which the symbol of our separation was torn. And just imagine, I mean, there were priests there probably 
in the temple getting ready for the Passover. There were people there. Imagine how their minds would have been blown. Firstly, there was an earthquake. And that always you know, draws everyone's attention. There's no code and safety. They didn't die. The thing didn't fall down. They, they were shaken. But they've heard earthquakes before. But then they would have looked and they would have seen something they'd never seen before. This thickly woven fabric, 15 feet high, just shredded from the top down. The symbolism could not have been clearer. This veil, this separation from the presence of God was no longer necessary because sin had been dealt with. Sin had been conquered. Our shame had been removed. Now it is reconciliation, unification that best describes the people of God, not separation, not condemnation. In fact, this is what we see in the New Testament. This is how Christians are described. Here's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what does, that, what does this mean? Well, it means that we don't have to be disconnected from God ever. It means that we have full access to his love and to his grace. It means that we can recapture the intimacy that we had with him in the garden. Hebrews 4.16 says it this way, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We do have times of need, don't we? There are many times when when we wonder, is there anyone who cares about what it is that I'm going through? Is there anyone who's, who's attentive to my needs, who sees my suffering or the ordeal that I'm going through? What we see here is, the answer is yes. Yes, God does. And God invites us to draw near to him so that we might receive help and, and blessing and comfort. There are other times when we are weighted down by our sin when we feel as if the things that we've done, the things in our past, the things going on right now are so weighty, so dark, that there's, there is no hope for us. That we desperately want to be out from underneath it, to out of the cycle of sin, and we don't know how that can ever happen. We need mercy, and we wonder, is it there for us? Could it be there even for me? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. Do you realize there is now nothing in heaven or on earth hindering us from coming close to God? who bestows grace and mercy upon all who turn to him. That, that's, that's the joy that comes from understanding what Jesus did for us on the cross. That we see the weight of sin, yes, but then we turn immediately and, and Jesus carries it. We, we don't need someone else to do it for us. We don't need a priest. We don't need to wait for one time a year. Right now, right here, each one of us can access the forgiveness of God of knowing that that sin no longer defines us. It also means that we, we no longer need to be satisfied with meager levels of intimacy with God or with the people in our lives. It means that we, we can be so at ease with ourselves in Christ that we are better able to engage in relationship with those around us. Now this also is hard for us not only to grasp, but to live out, to actually live with this kind of 
reconciliation and, and peace with those around us from the peace that we have with God. And that's partly because the world around us is still mired in sin. We ourselves still struggle with sin. So it means that that, that view of, of the garden or that, that honeymoon, it seems like those moments are fleeting. But we should recognize that true reconciliation is possible. And we should even just capture in our minds the essence of what it means to be truly reconciled. It's reconciled. It's a beautiful thing. It's a thing that should stir us up to greater affection for God and the people around us. And so I thought just to help us come to that point of, of remembering, of rejoicing in the reconciliation that Jesus brought, I, I wanted to tell you a story that I heard of, of really an amazing reconciliation. Now this is a story of an amazing reconciliation between a father and a son. It began, of course, with a devastating separation. And the separation came because this, this father and son, they grew up in the same home, and yet they were separated for this boy's entire childhood. And the reason for that was, was because this was an immigrant family that had come from China. The boy's name was Larry. Larry's mom and dad had come from the Fujong province in, in China, moved to the U.S., started up a Chinese takeout uh, restaurant, and, and the father, he worked uh, 15-hour days just to provide for the family. Just, just to make ends meet. But it wasn't just the long hours that kept them separated. What kept them separated is the fact that Larry and his father spoke a different language. See, when they had Larry, his, his mom and dad decided the best thing for him would be to learn English. And his mother could speak a bit of English, so, so she began to speak to him in English, and they figured that Larry would just pick up Chinese. But he never did. And because his father was working such long hours, it, it meant that he went his whole childhood never being able to speak to his dad, never being able to have a conversation. And what made it worse is that uh, when Larry was eight years old, his parents had another child, uh, a son. And they realized the mistake that they had made with Larry, so they sent the younger son to Chinese school. And so Larry then went from a point of indifference to a point of anger. He felt like his dad was not didn't even care to try to bridge this gap between them. Uh, he says this about that time. He said, I, I couldn't even hold eye contact with my dad. It was so hard. It, it was upsetting, but it got to a point where, where at first I, I just didn't even feel anything for him anymore. But then it got to the point where I felt like he, he definitely does not love me. How could he? It wasn't until Larry was in his teens that there is any point of connection. And it began this way. His father had to go back to China. And so before he left, he wrote a letter. And on the letter, on one side of the page was uh, the Chinese characters, but his aunt translated on, on the other side. And Larry says he remembers at, at 14 reading this letter and just and weeping because it was the first time that his father had expressed anything to him. He said, he said this, he said, Son, I remember the day you were born. I was thankful because your arrival brought me a brilliant outlook on life. When I wrote this letter, I struggled tremendously. However, it is a father's duty to mentor his son. I cannot communicate with you. But I thank God for giving me the courage to write this letter to my oldest son. That began a change in Larry's heart, where he realized that all that time his dad, he, he did love him. He, he was working to care for him. There was just this barrier, this language barrier that divided them. And it culminated, finally, Larry in his, in his 20s, 20 years old, 
He took Chinese lessons. He learned to, to articulate a, a bit in Chinese, and he wrote a letter and had it translated. And then he called his dad, and he read his dad's letter in Chinese, and he, had a, he hired a translator there to be with him. And he said to his dad, Dad, I, I know. I know what you did for me. I understand it. I'm thankful for it. I, I love you. And through the translator, for the first time, they had a conversation where his dad just broke down in tears. He was crying. I was listening to this on a podcast. Larry was crying. The translator was crying. Everyone was crying. Because for the first time, they were able to communicate with each other. It was a beautiful moment of reconciliation, overcoming a barrier that really should never have been there. There should not have been the case that this son and his father would would be separated by this language. And that is very similar to to sin. It should not have been the case that we were separated from our God. That we were meant to be in relationship with him. In, in that story, it was both the father and the son that had heart feelings and circumstances. That was the problem for us, the father and the son. There was no, no fault on them. It was all on us. That we turned through hardness of heart, through pride. And there was a barrier that, that walled us off from the grace and comfort that we needed. See, the beauty of the, of the cross is that like that moment, Renewed relationship means that we are known by God. It means that that he can hear us and we can hear him through the ministry of his spirit. That's the beauty of what it means to come to faith is that now not only are we not separated from God, but his spirit lives within us. That we have immediate access to all that God is. That we have the joy of knowing that he, he deeply loves us. See, sin does separate but Jesus reconciles. And my question for us this morning is, you know, I wonder if we truly appreciate that. I wonder if we aren't at times, in effect, restitching that veil through, through our own sin, through the ways in which we allow sin to persist in our lives, that, that barrier is growing again, not just between us and God, but it ends up being between us and the people around us. It's so good for us to see the weight of it the devastating effects of it, and the recognition that by the power of Jesus, by his willingness to be separated completely, ultimately from his Father, we never have to endure that kind of separation. That we can boldly enter the presence of God. It says this again, I'm going to read it again, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. You see that last part? That because we are reconciled with God, we now have a grace that overflows from us so that we might be a forgiving and gracious and loving people. Not only to the people in our lives, but to the people in our community. See, this is what the cross is about. One slice, one aspect of what Jesus did on our behalf. And this Good Friday, we, we should rightly remember and reflect. And our hearts hopefully will swell with the understanding that, that there's now nothing separating us from our creator, from our God. Let me pray together and then we're going to respond in song and worship. Lord God, Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for the cross. I thank you, Jesus, that you endured on our behalf 
the terrible separation from the Father because of our sin. Lord, I, I confess there are times when I, when I take that for granted. When I allow sin to fester, when I, when I allow it to rebuild that sense of separation, and God, I, just, I pray for all of us here that we would, we would not want that to be the case and that we would take steps, that we would recognize that we would turn to you, Jesus. We'd allow you to, to carry it, to forgive it, that we might move forward in this life enjoying relationship with you, Jesus, and enjoying relationship with others, not afraid, not ashamed, but enjoying the truth that we are your children and that you've done everything possible for us to know that every moment of our lives we are not alone and that you love us deeply. Help us, Lord, to understand this and then to live this, Lord, that others might also know this truth and might find the hope of the cross. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.